walking the Boston streets with the funniest kid that you ever did meet. His boy said big things are coming your way, so Bob packed up his talents and headed to L.A. Talking shit with Bubba. Oh, yeah. Chances. What's up? This is Bubba Guinea. This is episode 17 of Talking Shit with Bubba. You know, 17. John Havlicek steals the ball, one of the greatest basketball players to ever play for the Boston Celtics. Johnny Most, one of the best announcers to ever announce the game, period. Never mind for the Celtics, just in general. A lot of people that listen to this podcast might be too young. I doubt that because it's all old fucking middle-aged motherfuckers that are having a midlife crisis and got a baby that keeps crying that probably listen to this thing. So you guys identify. And 90% of you are probably Bostonians, so you guys already know this fucking story. Also, number 17, Manny Del Carmen, pitcher for the Red Sox. Also, pretty much my next-door neighbor, dude lived across the street for me we used to play fucking you know flag football stick ball in the back of the back of the schoolyard we also played in the same pop Warner football team dude's a legend i feel like 17 is you know a lot of people's lucky number it's a good number it's a solid number i never wore 17 i always wore either 11 or 55 that's my steez i like the double numbers but 11 and 55 is always my thing you know it was always good luck so you know i mean <laughs> We're in a crazy place, man. We're in a crazy place. We're in a crazy world. There's crazy things going on in our society every day that I can't really understand. We're not going to go into the details of what happened today, but, you know, we're in the middle of the fucking Wall Street day. But we're going to talk about other things to get our minds off of those things. And I'm excited for this episode, man. I'm I'm excited for this episode because I got got an important person on this episode that's, you know, a big supporter of mine. Someone that knows me better than anyone else in the world. But not only are they supporter and you know, you know, love me and hold me down, and, and you know, uh, half the reason for a lot of my successes, they're also my biggest critic, also my biggest hater, also my biggest judger, also my biggest pain in my fucking ass. Someone that makes me laugh, someone that makes me feel loved, and also someone that makes me want to commit homicide and has for decades. You know what I mean? So we're gonna bring in no other than my 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 best friend and my my blood brother. E skills, what's up, man? Best friend, blood brother. What's happening, brother? What's up, man? It's good to have you here, man. The funny thing about having E on the podcast, man, is that this dude went to school for broadcasting. I did I not did. go to school for broadcasting, but here we are. I'm the one broadcasting. You know what I'm saying? And you're a guest on my podcast, which you're a, you know you're a frequent listener of, and a, and a critiquer, and a and also you know you know a supporter, but also have your have your thoughts on how things could be different. You know, if there was one thing you could change about how I do this podcast, what would it be? <laughs> you got me on the spot. I mean, <laughs> you know, it's, it's funny you say that. Well, before I go into what what I think you could change, because because I, I you know historically I don't really like to change things about people, people's process of what they do creatively. I'll make some comments and, and it'll just be kind of my gut re- level reactions about how I Yeah, feel what's your gut level reaction? Um, what's your what's your first what's the first thing that comes to mind about what I should do differently? Uh well yeah, I think the way that you intro guests, like you just gave me a great introduction and then you used my nickname. So people still don't actually know who I am. A lot of people who know who I am don't know who I am right now. So, <laughs> so, so. Yeah, it's all good, dude. It's written in the fucking bio and episode <laughs> on the screen, dude. That's all you need. You know Eric, I mean? E-Skills. Many people know me as Eric G. Uh, handle Eric the Curator. His name is Eric but Kenneth Ginnity. What That's I would his full say, fucking government name. I, Does that clarify everything for the audience or what? What I would say on the 17s as well is... 
And the student just goes on. Ironically, Antonio Brown wore 17 for the Patriots. Yeah, but who wants to mention him? This fucking well, he's, dude's he's, a hack I mean, of Gino. And he's yeah, not even playing play. in the you Super Bowl. He's playing in the bowl. Is he playing in the bowl? He's playing. Oh, he's going to play. He's playing. He's playing. He'll probably catch zero touchdowns. But he's playing. So that that's... Don't, you think it'll be the difference? The rise and fall and fall and rise of Antonio Brown is an interesting thing. But the other 17, I would say, is... Celtics have 17 banners in the Raptors. We also have 17 banners. That's, but that's now, a, that's a so do the Lakers. Yeah, which is the and fucking... And so for the first time... Which is time, arguably the worst thing of all For the time. first time, at least, that I I mean, recall, dude, LA fans feeling like they're like equal to you as a Boston fan is just one of the worst things on the planet to experience. Because they're so beneath us. I'm sorry, guys. <laughs> I'm sorry. But like, LA fans, guys, you don't know shit about anything. I mean, there's like a you know small what? percentage of you that do. I'm but not- as like, but if you want to take like the median and like the, 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 you know, like the, 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 you know, middle ground of fucking, you know, of Laker fans, they're fucking horrible. Have you been to a Laker game? They don't even know what's going on. They don't even watch the game. No, I get, I get what you. They talk get. to each I other. I get what you're getting at. It's fucking crazy. As somebody, and you did too. As somebody who grew up working at Fenway Park, working at Gillette Stadium, being really around the Boston fan base and Boston sports lore and fandom, everyone, everyone knows we know at the, the highest points. Uh, I think I also learned that I don't want to be the pompous Bostonian fan that says to other people, "Y'all ain't shit, but we are." You know, that's so I'm it, that's no, no. I'm I just mean, speaking the truth. I'm I'm just speaking on my. I'm behalf. just speaking my experience, dude. Let's say let's say, let's talk about my experience. Here's my here's my the, here's my number one memory as a fucking Boston fan. Go going to the number Staples one. Center. This is the number one. Oh, Staples Center. Okay, number one. We were going to the Staples Center game seven. 2010 fucking NBA Finals, right? I was on the court in 2008 when we beat him. Anything is possible. I I could fucking, I could feel Kevin Garnett's fucking oxygen hitting my face. That's how close I was when he was screaming that. You know what I'm saying? So I had that whole experience. But then I got, and I lived in LA at the time, but I flew home to go to the game because I wanted to see us close it out. But in 2010, we play in the Lakers, game seven at the fucking thing, at the Staples Center. Bunch of us going. I was there, which. Right. Me and you were walking down the street. We're not even at the Staples City yet. We're at a part of the p- street on Figueroa where, like, no one's around. We walk by this guy and his son, and his son's, like, our age, and then the guy's, like, in his 60s. When we're in all green, we're not even fucking saying anything. We're, like, talking to each other and, like, walking. Dude goes, oh, you guys want to get fucking loud. He was, like, basically, like, like premeditatively coming at us on some like ignorant boisterous boston shit like oh yeah of course these dudes are wild talking shit it's like i wasn't even fucking saying anything i'm like now this guy's in my fucking conversation so i go dude i go you want to talk shit you're the worst lakers fan ever like we weren't even fucking saying a word buddy why don't you go fuck yourself you know what i mean and he was like go fuck myself you're in downtown la he goes i can't wait till someone kicks your ass today and i go is it you are you gonna kick my fucking ass or is it going to be your fucking dad? Because it's neither one of you motherfuckers. You ain't going to do shit. And he goes, yeah, someone is. I'm like, that sums up Lakers fans in a fucking nutshell. You didn't want to fight me like a good Yankee Red Sox fucking fisticuffs in the parking lot or in the tunnel while you're taking a piss in a trough, right? You didn't want to knuckle up next to a trough while somebody has their pants down. But you wanted to tell me about how somebody today is going to punch me in my face. That is Lakers fans I in mean, a fucking nutshell. Sorry, dude. I, I hear what you're saying. The, the thing about it is I think that kind of thing expands well beyond Lakers fans. It's like every aspect of your life as a Bostonian. You know, you're just being what you were kind of in some ways bred in an environment to be a generationally, 
bred to be. And then people are finding some way to like relate to that by also being like overtly boisterous. And I think they that- try to match it. But the thing is that what they don't realize is that as much as I'm a fucking boisterous maniac and I have a podcast just so I can yell and scream about things that fucking bother me. Like most of the time, I'm not on the higher spectrum of being an ignoramus Boston fan. Usually I'm down to like, yeah, have conversations yeah. with the visiting fans. When I was a vendor at Fenway, I would like take pictures with like the fucking visiting fans from like the Car- St. Louis Cardinals played at Fenway like once I like gave them so much props invited dudes to the bar told them the best place to go to eat over the weekend like that's well, the type of fan me, I am yeah yeah well let me explain my experience when I went to old Yankee Stadium the original Yankee Stadium in the 90s as a Fenway vendor with a bunch of my boys you know driving up there from Boston when we were in the bowling alley you know having beers before the game and everything when we were talking to Yankee fans, you know, who are regulars at this place, who have season tickets and stuff, when they found out that we were Fenway vendors, they wouldn't let us buy a beer ourselves. No. You know, that's how that's how And that's some New York were. that's how good New York fans are. And I fucking hate New York fans. But I, I mean, hope they all get colon kicked. Here's another at the end side of the day, that. they're the be- they're great fans. No, but Bubba, great don't fans. don't forget, there's another side of that too, like talking about fist fights in front of stadiums and arenas. Don't forget, when I was a 17-year-old vendor, I did fist fight a grown 35 year old Yankee fan because he disrespected one of my close friends who was also a vendor with me. And I felt like it was needed at the time. Granted, he walled me in the side of the head and I kind of looked at all my friends and was like, it was one of those like, hold me back moments. You know? <laughs> oh, you like I was going at him. Was but like, scrape you. I mean, this guy, he was like the size of like David Ortiz himself. Oh, no. But, the, but, and I was a kid, but the, the point is like, there's always going to be tension across fan bases. There's especially always going to be tension across rivalries. And the way that I love personally, the way that I love to experience rivalries, I love to go to Lakers Celtics games with my boss and my coworker. That's a big time Laker fan. Yeah, like, yeah, that's great. That. One of my best I friends is a big Lakers fan. fan. You know, like I love. Hell yeah. You know, growing up. That's and, the best part. Working at Fenway. Honestly, I can't. I, I don't think I ever admitted it to friends, and and actually, I experienced this at going to Emerson College. You know, there there was a lot of New York born students there, a lot of New Yorkers that were in Boston during the era of Pedro Martinez and when we were winning World Series, and you know, it's Jeter and Martinez I mean, and, and Clemens shit. and A Rod, and I was at all those all games. That. And the thing is, in the, the interesting thing back then is you would see a lot of couples. That like the girls Yankees, are Sox, Yankees yeah. fan, the, the guys are Red Sox fan, or vice versa. You know, yeah, it's and, the best. It's and I always time. thought that that was like you know, if you played it right, like that was intriguing. You know, dude, that definitely. that was fun. That was fun. Definitely, Man, dude. Going back to that 2010 Finals and Staples Center, though, is like we actually made it on the NBA Films broadcast right. that still replays on NBA TV when they replay that game because we were in front of the Staples Center chanting like Lakers suck and dudes chanting Boston yeah, sucks. Yeah, we, we were fully and decked we were like out. decked out in green 10, yeah. 15 deep. We were going at it with Lakers fans, but it, dude, but everyone was like having a great time. It yeah. wasn't like bad. Yeah. The reality you know is, I mean? if the irony of that day is, we ended up not going into the game for one reason or another. Because we were trying to get scalped. Basically, we know we had a scheme. We had a dude that we gave some cash to, and he would get us in into the like the restaurant suite section, and he got caught and fired like an hour in before game, game six, time. Yeah, because he had got dudes into game six, and we were coming back for game seven. And game seven, they got hip to well, his our game. buddies put us on. Our buddies yeah, put us on. Game seven, dudes yeah. got hip to his game, and dude got fired, and literally couldn't do it. So, so we had to go home. But it was a godsend because the reality was, and we both know to this day, like. Exiting that game 
would have been hell. Oh, hell. For, for a Celtics fan. There was definitely, like, I was the dude with the Bird jersey, the scally cap, the whole nine. There were definitely dudes coming out of that game being like, where's Bird at? You know? <laughs> and yeah, Bird, but they won. Bird though. was at the house eating they dominoes. Dude, the funny thing about that is <laughs> it, it, this week was E's 40th birthday. And I got him a. He, we had a Zoom party because, like, you know, COVID, all this fucking shit. So I got this dude a cameo 40. for his 40th birthday, and I chose to get Kendrick Perkins, who didn't play in Game Seven in 2010. The is fact. pretty much the reason the why we lost. Fact. Him being injured in Game Seven of 2010 is the reason so, we lost. By the way, I gotta, I gotta thank you here on the podcast for that, man. Because honestly, like, I had no idea. That there was going to be like a, a special drop from Kendrick Perkins. I'm a big fan. I actually, in honor of Kendrick Perkins, because he, he crushed al- it he too. Always he said, killed no, it. He Kendrick killed, Perkins is the man. Do we need to have Kendrick Perkins on but the podcast? Kendrick Perkins, I mean, it probably never fucking I mean, happened, but I'm going to come on. I'm going to be real with you. I'm going to be real with you. This extends to after Kendrick Perkins w- was first acquired by the Celtics, and he was like on the bench as a rookie that didn't get much burn. I remember going to the games and being like, yo, this Perkins dude is going to be that dude. And the reality is he gave us the grit down low that we he's needed gr- at a young physical, age. He's physical, man. But now, you know, he's on first take. He's on Celtics broadcast. He's a great but, person. But let me tell you, bro, on the jump, every time on the jump, when Rachel or uh, or Richard Jefferson ask him about a specific player, he always says, he'll, he'll be like, oh, Last night, Luca reached into that his bag. He's always talking about how somebody reached into their bag. So, in honor of Kendrick saying that people reach into their bags, I brought a bag. You got a bag of so what? I can reach. Into I mean, my you bag. are a bag. I'm but, reaching into my bag. But what's in so your let me bag? Tell you, I, you know, I listen. I listen to uh to this podcast religiously. So I'm gonna go. Yeah, I, mean, as I hope so. I'm I brought you. Brother. uh I know you drink the Coke Zeros, but I, I'm I brought you the Coke Zero. I brought I you a, a Coke cherry Zero. Coke Zero just to spice it up tonight. Just to spice it up a little bit, you know, because variety right. is the spice of life. You know what's funny about this? Hold on, I'm I not feel going. like I got he's trying to back. sell this as a thoughtful move, and I'm going to tell you what I think happened. <laughs> I think he went to a store to get me a thoughtful Coke Zero, and they were out of Coke Zeros, and all they had was cherry Coke Zero. You couldn't be yes further off. Further off? You couldn't be further off. I could have bought a two-liter, a can. Like, they had every Coke Zero. You chose though. cherry? I chose cherry. All right, gangster. Okay. Growing up, I, I liked cherry you. Cokes. I misjudged And I'm like, you know what? This guy I might like you cherry Coke. I know you're also on that keto. So I had to bring some uh, some cheese wrapped in salami. I mean, dude, at the end of the day, if some I was cheese wrapped if, in salami, if we were fortunate enough right. to have a fan base right. big enough that someone would want to sponsor this fucking podcast, a Fiorucci fucking panino fucking go. hot salami, and a Coke Zero would be the place You're to stop. You're splitting those with me, though. There's two of them. I'm not sharing a fucking thing with you, dude. You're splitting that with me. I got myself a, a, a Media Noche Golden Road. This is a kind of Golden Road. I mean, this is a sober podcast, you fucking ignorant bastard. I mean, you're the sober. We don't drink on this thing. You're the I brought a coffee as well. This is a This is basically because we can't coffee. go to a meetings. This podcast is my. I brought an illy coffee, and you bring a fucking golden road. I mean, nobody gave me those parameters. I'm no, just kidding, no one advanced the fact. You that can you drink all drink you want, bro. You I, I drink in this kitchen all the time. You can keep pretending as though you're not bald or an alcoholic. Dude, go for it. <laughs> hey, man! Until the gig, is, the jig is up. You know what I'm saying? All right. So what? So sorry, I went on a tangent about Kendrick Perkins, but that was a really thoughtful gift. It was awesome. It excited me. I mean, what do you want to talk Thank about you. next? You want to talk about how, you, how every single joke as a stand-up comedian that I've presented to you prior to trying it on the stage, you basically said that it's terrible. You, so now at this point, I basically run jokes by you 
just so when and if you say it's not good or it's not going to work, I pretty much guarantee it's going to work. You know, the irony, you the irony of that is you say this all the time, and I just I don't believe that. Like, I don't. Dude, every joke I tell you, you're like, uh, I don't know. I could retell your jokes it. better than anyone else can retell your jokes. There's a lot of joke favorites I have. The things I will say is, listen, man. I have, you know what I mean? I went to art school. I, I'm into concept development. I'm always in my creative <laughs> process. If you come to me with some stuff, if I feel I have a gut level reaction to something and it's like people could call it feedback, people call it a note, pe- I, I'm just going to say it. it. I don't say like negative. But this is why I the, number one rule is a Dude, the number one rule is a stand-up comedian for all stand-up comedians that listen to this podcast. You don't run anything you, you're trying to do as a stand-up and you believe as a stand-up and you want to you know, perform or talk about as a stand-up, never fucking ask someone Touché. about it Touché. unless it's from a fucking microphone on a stage. I think... Like, it should never be tested in a room. It doesn't work. It doesn't land. The context isn't right. You don't know if the person's going to identify, and it might it might turn you off a joke that you should fucking go do. So, like, don't fucking run it by nobody. If this you is- think it's great and you want to say it, you should go and say it and go and try it, which I do, but I still run jokes by you just, to, just for shits and giggles if you basically critiquing it yeah i think i think where this all came from is i was a big fan and still am of the carrot cake bit and so every time you were going to do a gig i'd ask you what your set list was and then you'd like leave carrot cake out and i'd be like man yeah, but i had been running carrot cake for fucking two years dude i <laughs> no, was I over get, carrot cake i get it but you know you, i had enough fucking you're performing carrot cake, somewhere dude. people don't know carrot cake like yeah carrot, carrot cake's cake. a great great bit i brought it back recently but like it's like dude sometimes i'm like i don't want to do that joke Fair enough. i also am like i don't i mean that joke might not work at this place or like i was also just like trying to do new shit you know what i'm saying like you always want the carrot cake bit which is great it's a fucking classic if i ever got famous we'd fucking sell carrot you know cake there's a reason there's a reason you know why i, mean? I always like carrot cake and, it, and and it's not even because of the punches or anything like that i just always felt like it encapsulated your talent for what it really is because it allowed you to be your neurotic self in a controlled way because you had it down and i thought that it was relatable and it was really I mean, everybody funny. fucking wants but i also felt like you know you know me who doesn't like i'm always i'm these days now I, we're gonna have to cut to the cake. what i could say is <laughs> since i haven't been on the radio in college days i really haven't been a performer of any kind so i became kind of the guy behind the guy and as the guy behind the guy um you know there's just certain things that i see and and try to push like yeah go harder with that because like that's the sauce you know, and I just always felt like carrot cake was 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 a flex. That's the only reason I was always a big fan of it. I mean, carrot cake's my know? shit. Have you seen me do carrot cake? Yeah, Clay? I've, Clay's I've seen, seen carrot cake. I've seen it on YouTube and everything. I enjoy it as well. It probably is my favorite too. But I wanted to ask right. you, I wanted to ask you a question. You talk about like your process and like the guy behind the guy, and like where did that come from? Like, where did you start your creative process? Like, was it going to broadcasting school, or did broadcasting school change? No, when I do when I was in high school. Well, younger than that. When I was real young, like middle school, there was a dude that lived on our street named Will Monestine, right? Is his last name Monestine, like Mike? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Will Monestine was on 88.9 WERS, the college radio station of of uh, of Boston, of Emerson of College. Emerson, yeah. And it was like the, one of the best hip-hop shows. In this. It was the best hip-hop show in the city. Like everybody that listened to hip-hop listened to this station. 
and he, you know we got put on i got put on it from him he probably got put on with it from a different way but like you know i remember being like dude this is like it's where i learned about hip-hop was listening to this radio station and then, and then it fell off man when we got to be like you know teenagers that was like middle school we got to be teenagers it was trash like the dudes that were on there were just whack i don't know if kids from fucking other states were just suburban kids were just getting on the radio and like they just fucked it up basically and something that dudes from the city like really like had pride in and like checked for and, like especially dudes that were in jail and stuff like that it was like a huge thing for us and then and then it fell off and then fast forward he goes to emerson and gets on the radio station and 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 takes it back to the promised land of what it was supposed to be. It arguably probably takes it further than it was at any time. You know, yeah, so. and I mean, well, what I can say about that is that I did grow up listening to that, and I did get a lot of, like, 80s and 90s hip-hop knowledge from that, and I did become a bigger fan of specifically those groups like a tribe called quest and and dayla and and all those things and it just to the point where at that point you know i owned my own turntables in high school i was already collecting vinyl i already had like an extensive knowledge of of that hip-hop stuff and i had a standard for myself of what i listened to in the artists that i was into that didn't mean that i didn't like some people that were more commercial it didn't mean i didn't like people that were considered underground i liked parts of all of that but when I came into the radio station that he's talking about on WBRS, it was a competitive environment. It was like getting on the basketball team at Kentucky. And I had to go through, you know, an interview process. I needed referrals. Like, I needed this whole thing. And, and you were a local kid. So I feel, like, I was it was, a local I feel kid. like it's kind of harder to I was get a local on kid. as a local but kid. But what I found was when I first got on it, and, like, I had a mentor this dude, False One, my man Dave, who was like my homeboy, he was my mentor there too. And, and and he was from New York and he had come up listening to Stretch and Bob, Stretch and Bobito show a lot. So he had a point of reference of a great radio He's show. He's now works at Nike. So right? I think, yeah. Um, so I think that like in my early times of being there, what we did was we had a standard for ourselves and for the other DJs as well. And we felt like if we held things to a high standard, that as a whole, the program would excel because we weren't just letting anybody through the door to do interviews, any local doo-doo coming up. Like we were more correspondent with labels and getting bigger acts. And it was just a better experience. I mean, dude, I remember you. Students. I remember that was the first time I ever heard that fucking, that Juicy 8-Ball, Juicy J record, man. Like Stay Absolutely. Fly shit. I remember when you op- I remember when you pulled that record out of the pa- fucking the cellophane like plastic cellophane plastic bro i remember when you open you like yo they just sent this to me like no one's even played this yet like let's listen to this shit and see if it's dope and if it's dope we should play it tonight you know what i mean like i remember you played it we were all just like bugging like yo this is a hit like this is crazy there was a lot like that i mean we played like kanye through the wire first on radio too i mean what what i can say because clay asked a specific question about process like for me personally when I was young in high school, I was into poetry. I went to a school that required you to do this thing called declamation where you had to stand in front of crazy. your so, class so and like declare a poem by memory. And there was also prize there was prize declamation in my high school as well where people would like there was there was literally like a tournament of prize declamation where and keep may- in mind this is also the oldest public school in the country. 
Boston and the, and Boston the top Lions. public school in the but country. What I can Lions. say, I g- I give you the short answer is like it started by me writing poems and on my own. That was the I think the first creative process I ever had because growing up I couldn't draw a straight line, so I definitely wasn't like illustrating or anything. I was doing like stage theater performances, but. When I went to freshman year of college, I didn't get into Emerson coming out of high school. And so I went to this school called Columbia College in Chicago. And when I went there, I took radio, but I also took black and white photography. And this was in 2000. This was the advent of digital photography. Okay. So at this time, like everyone who's really taking photography this episode is black and white. skills biography, by the way. No, he, Autobiography. He asked me a question. I'm just kidding. I'm giving an answer. balls. Dude. Go ahead. What I'm saying is. In that black and white photography, what I found is going into the dark room for 10 and 12 hours a day, that was process. And that was literally taking the chemicals to develop your stuff and then printing, actually printing black and white prints was a whole process in itself. And so that's when I first realized, okay, wait a minute, to make a good product when you're actually creating art. There's got to be time put into this shit. There's no shortcut to that. And then the final thing I would say to to you is when I did transfer to Emerson and finally go there in like the second semester of my sophomore year, I actually took a course called Concept Development. And the whole thing was literally just about taking your ideas and developing them. And I still do that in personally and in group brainstorms and stuff to this day. And I think that like, for anyone, I, mean, I live my life. In you know, there's a lot of people you you hear people all the time, friends, family, whatever. Yo, I'm so good at coming up with creative ideas. I bet you are. But the question it's, it's is, two different things though. I can come up with ideas all day. You know how many fucking ideas I had in my life that are fifty percent of them are fucking amazing. You know how many how many of those I've actually put the work in to develop? Well, to that's make what I'm. That's the point. Thing. That's the long winded like, point. There's, there's so many people that have a million ideas, dude. You know what I mean? It's like it's about putting those ideas to action. It's also about being able to let ideas go, knowing that they're not things that you should put action into. Absolutely. And like, Absolutely. there's like a top you got to know when to pull, that out. pull the zip cord, dude. And you got to and you got to be willing to work if you do believe in it completely and you've developed done enough work and you got to keep persevering through very a bunch of levels to get to the other side, man. People think that the success happens overnight, dude. It's just not the fucking case, man. I have, another, I have another question about that and going with your black and white photography. So yeah. I took a photography class in high school and I went into the dark room and like you really are touching it every step of the way. Right. Do you find yourself like if that's like where you got your process from or got a lot of it from, do you find yourself being able to let go of it and have other people help you? Or do you like to be hands on through through to completion on any project, creative process, like, are you able to let it go? This dude's going all the way. Well, you know what's, you know what's interesting, Clay, is like, now, I'm not necessarily the creator in what I do, I'm the producer. So, like, I work in stage designs and stage production, and I'm, I'm not the stage designer, but I work with the stage designer and the lighting designer, um, to, to execute their vision. And so everything I do is helping create someone else's idea. But it also could never be created without the ability to have not only understand the precision of what it takes and bring all those pieces together, both mathematically, financially, and all those things, but to be a leader of a team. Like, to, and, and I know Bubba knows this so much because he does it too, is like 
to execute someone else's vision means you're part of a team. And so when you're leading a team, you're leading the team with that vision in mind. And so like a lot of times when I'm executing and, and building some large production for a tour or whatever, I'm executing a vision that now I'm completely involved in and so and a part someone of, else is but I buy into you. it. I someone, buy into someone it. Else is, someone else took the idea that they worked out on and handed it to you like a baton on a fucking track meet. Right. And you better not drop that shit. And it's not even yours, you know, which is the craziest part. I, I, I mean, I, I, I've had both sides of the coin. I've been a production manager, tour manager for huge artists. And I've also had my own creative things with comedy, and I've written a script screenplays, and I've got an option. I got this in crowd thing that I created, and it's like, dude, it's way different when it's yours and when it's not yours. I may actually right. lean on the side of when it's not yours, it's almost more serious. Oh, yeah. You know what I mean? Absolutely. Like, it's like, I take it more seriously when it's Absolutely. not mine. Absolutely. You know what I mean? Because I, because I'm like, yo, someone's entrusting me with their vision to like bring it to fruition and I can't fucking drop the ball. And my job is to fucking do that the right way and the way they intended it. And you, my, also my job is to tell them where the things aren't going to work and aren't going to happen and, yeah. and, and get them off of spots that yeah. they won't fucking get off of it. That you're just like, bro, we're going to waste time if you keep standing yeah. there. You know what I'm saying? Like that's a difficult part of the job too. And I think that certain people. It's interesting, man. Me and me and E, we got we got a you know, we we got a very specific character. As much as a lot of people be like, oh yeah, they fucking they doing a podcast together, talking for two hours. Bubba's a fucking comedian, thinks he's the man. Whatever, Just say whatever you want. But at the end of the day, is it takes a very specific character to be like humble enough to not have to be the guy, but also be creative and intelligent enough to like kind of be the guy anyway, even though you're not the guy. You know what I'm saying? It's like, Absolutely. it's weird. It's like, you know, it's almost like kind of like a football team. You well, know what I mean, it's well, like, here's the thing. It's like Tom Brady's the guy that gets all the glory, but like, what about the dude that fucking calls the plays? Here's the, the thing. You know, you know what I'm saying? Our like, position is tricky. honestly tougher than in some ways. It can be tougher than being the creator because you have to hold the line for the creator. So someone else is like trying to be like, no, but can we do this other thing? And you're like, no, we can't actually do it like that. We have to do it like this. Because the rea the reality is you need to ensure the integrity of what was created. And when you end up being the guy that has to ensure that, like, you you, oh, you know, you're fighting a lot of wars. And what the other thing I could tell you is, like, there's a lot of people out there in any creative aspect, especially young people. I'm not trying to be, like, on some ageism shit. But I, I experience it, it with a lot of the millennials is like there people are always like, yo, I could do that. I could create that. I could think of that. First thing I'll true. say is, no, you can't. Like maybe you can on the napkin drawing. Yeah. Maybe you can scribble it on the scratch pad. Sure. Can you tell me what it takes to do it now? The second thing is what I want to instill to those people is if you humble yourself a little bit and you just figure out that you're a cog in the wheel and you're down with that. You can keep being the guy that gains enough experience and is in the sphere of the dudes who are making the, the shots to the point where one day someone's going to say, you got an idea about this or what do you think about this? And maybe that'll be your moment to really shine. Maybe that moment I mean, will change I, dude, your whole I, I mean, I had that experience you know? this year. Me too. This year, Me man. Too. Like this year I had that experience several times. It's like we were, you know, 
production managing stage designs for huge fucking artists on Coachella stages to stages all over the world. And like, and then that, you know, and I would always be like, I got ideas that are like better than this idea, but whatever. You know what I mean? Like sometimes my ego would get in the way and I'd be like, my shit's better, but whatever. This is, it's not you my gotta job. You got to respect people's expertise. Though. Yeah. It's not my job. It's not my job to think whether it's good or not. That's right. But I learned over time a lot of the information through working with these things and weaving these things, but I was, that I was able to, when my fucking number got called, I knew how to do things and I had ideas of my own and I fucking executed them. And I did stage dines for Insomniac for fucking festivals this year that like were just conceptualized by my own fucking brain and life experience. Yeah. And then I also made this in crowd thing that was a combination of my performance art and my stage direction, my stage production knowledge. And all these things require like, a team. Like yeah, anybody yeah, no, listening, this yeah. all requires. Yeah, team. everything's about the team, dude. You Absolutely. know, a lot of things I don't even know how to do. I just can, I can conceptualize them, and then I know the people that specialize in things I need to do, and I put them together, and I tell them what I want to see, and we go through the process together, which is great. But the funny thing about the eighty-eight-nine thing going back is like, dude, that E being on the radio station in Boston actually catapulted us into like all of this shit, and we didn't even know it how did. this shit was going to unfold. It it's like he was on the radio, which made me get this fucking internship in, in high, high school. school yeah then i was like a ran a street team in boston for 50 cents first album get rich or die trying then i fucking went to new york to college but i also worked in the street team of a dude that used was from boston whose cousin was the dude that was on the 889 who worked at the marketing company i interned with who now had his own marketing company that i worked in the street team there and we became fucking close without any of those correlations while he was still on the radio and then i and then he was in move to la with our boy billy and then fucking, I was like, I'm coming too. And then we took the marketing company, we ran in LA, and then that marketing company turned into relationships with managers and artists, the managers and artists turned into tour manager, then that turned into production oh, manager, then that, you know what I mean? Like, and then that, then, then we climbed the ladder of a genre we knew, this was all in hip hop shit. And then we were like, oh, Electro's popping off, cool, there's bags there, all right, fuck it, we'll do that. And then we meet these Great. dudes from Europe, and we fucking build all that, and then I realized I have a performance art, then I, then I stopped the music shit all together. E basically goes all the way to the top, while I go over here just like write screenplays and like do stand up and like fucking Clay, do whatever the fuck you. I'm doing. It's like but that shit was the catalyst to this whole shit. It was. It was. And, and now and we're back sitting on a broadcast thing and no neither one of us has done broadcast since then. That's true. No one's done broadcast yeah. since 889. Right. Here we are come full circle right. of doing a hundred different things in the entertainment yeah. world. A- and we're back sitting at a broadcast in my fucking kitchen. I was a 21-year-old kid. By the way, we're in my fucking kitchen. I was a 21-year-old kid with a sidekick, reaching out to record labels, booking artists, booking Killer Mike. 19 years ago, me and JCO had Killer Mike on our radio show, and he and we shout and, out JCO you know, worst when he dude was on, the, on the whole world. You know, JCO worst dude on the planet, but still got love for you. <laughs> no, one of the most talented, one of the best DJs ever. I mean, DJs the DJ hand now, skills, DJ hand skills galore. But this dude's one of the um, best. No, no but Clay, what I was going to say is, you know, what, what what Bubba said was when we first came to LA and we're doing this marketing stuff. That meant that we we were running our own street team, right? So we're running our own street team for hip hop labels. We're right. putting up poster We're boards. Doing- we don't even know, bro. I was in Compton and Watts at Barbershop. Dudes are like, bro, what are you doing? So, here? dude, and why I are you wearing know- a B hat? This is a crypt. I didn't. We lived in El Segundo. What the fuck was we lived on. in El Segundo. I didn't know what La Brea was. I didn't know what Sepulveda was. I knew what La Cienega was. I just barely knew that it ran north south, right? And let I mean, me tell he you- had never even been to California, bro. I came here before him, and he went on a bus tour with the Roots. To come across the country, and he literally the first time he stepped foot in L.A., he got off a tour bus at the House of Booze on Sunset, like What's on up? Halloween. On, on Halloween, Halloween, I was like, "Was and I was already here." And I was like, my first up? Clay. My first impression of L.A. ever 
was the Roots doing two shows at the House of Blues on Sunset. Which doesn't even I'm exist I'm working anymore. on for 2K Sports promoting NBA 2K. We're setting up video game kiosks at House of Blues. I step off the bus that's – it was parked in front of the uh, – at the time, it's the, the rock and roll – I want to say Hilton. Right, right in front of the comedy store, right? The bus was parked in yeah, front of the comedy that, store. That hotel changed his name. I My first impression of L.A. was, was staying stepping at the off the bus on Halloween on Sunset. This is when Sunset was popping, bro. Yeah, I was is, like. This is fucking 2005. Literally, I stepped out of that bus. It's and 2020, was like, dude. It's 2005. I like, I like this place. Oh, yeah. It was amazing. I, like I mean, there was some there um, was some thangs walking but, around there. But, there was also some thangs with some other thangs. But, yo, Clay. Clay <laughs> West this, Hollywood, you know what Clay, I'm this is what I can tell you. It's a crazy place, man. Clay, this is what I can tell you. Pizza Rustica me and Ryan, slices. Me and crap. Ryan, we may not, uh, me and Bubba, we may have not known L.A., but we had a lot of work ethic. We were ready to get in the streets. We He had already been doing the street team stuff since high school. He'd done the diplomats all through New York. Like, he'd been doing it. So, we would hot. We would hot. We had, we got a street dude. No team one van. been in the street like me, dude. We got our own van. Like, right? A lot of dudes say they've been in the street and they've done things in the street. Like I lived in Clay, the streets this of when, all major cities and hustled in the streets. The dude knew the mover and shakers. The dudes that ran the barber shop. The dudes that ran the corner store. The dudes that sold the drugs. Absolutely. The dudes that ran the nightclubs. The dudes that were on the radio. The dudes that drove the cars. The dude like I know all these motherfuckers, man, in every fucking and city. The bus and I'd get off in a new city and be like, Yeah, just got here. Already own it. What's up? <laughs> Taking your shit. No, I'm no. taking your accounts. I remember LA dudes being like, yo, who the fuck are these Boston dudes well, that's just what took I was all say. our bread? Dude, and I'm like, I'm the, the one that hustles harder than you in the city that you're from, dude. I don't even know how to get around, and it doesn't fucking matter. I know that I'm going to get around you. That's Clay. what I know. Clay, that's that's about I, the only thing I that's know. That's what I was going to say is like, we would hop out the van. Now, now, this is what you have to picture, okay? We were putting up poster boards, which meant you had two posters back to back. I mean, this is just you one stapled, part of it, yeah. You stapled one side of it. In the van while the van's rolling. So when we jump out, you wrap the poster around the telephone pole. You staple the other snap, side, snap, snap. and then you push it up because you got a staple gun. You push it up, and then you do, do a bunch another, more another, below another, another it one, until one. you push it up. So now you got ten on the pole. Now you're stunting. Now you stunt. Speaking speak of ten on the pole, bro, I was getting arrested on the ten. Oh yeah, near the stable center on Grammy weekend cube. on the highway Grammy pumping weekend. ice cube yep. posters, dude. I was on the fucking side of the highway, no sidewalk. I walked up the off ramp at the cars in the breakdown lane and put the fucking snipes up because I was like, every record label exec in the fucking country is going to be here and they're going to be like, yo, who are those dudes putting up the fucking ice cubes? Right. We got to give them That's the right. money now because those are the dudes in LA. And I was like, we're the ones with that, so we're going to be the dudes that look like that's we're the right. dudes. And that's what happened. And we took dudes' accounts and dudes hate us for it. It's friends now, but haters then. You got to understand you know a few saying? things. Grammy weekend. And BET Awards weekend, shit was a full-on onslaught of street team battles because everyone was battling. And this is obsolete now. This stuff doesn't yeah, even this exist doesn't even anymore. anymore. Once social media came about, like all this shit went kaputty, and they started putting their money in the digital marketing space. But back in the day, it was about hand to hand and and in the street impressions and like you know like versions of you know billboards and and projections and stencils on the ground and man. like box trucks with fucking TV screens. Like you had to put let that tell you. that album in front of dudes, man. You know, or they didn't know about it. And we were also don't get it twisted. We weren't just putting up post boards and handing out CDs and shit. We were also like going to nightclubs and like giving dudes the fucking vinyl oh, to dude, play in the club dude. and shit. Like pushing records. We were working records. We were working. Rec- we were getting the radio. Dudes, the record before the shit came out. Like we were like pushing. Bro, records, I went man. into the club with two copies on vinyl of "Make It Rain," 
before it was on yeah. the radio yep. and went straight to Felly we Fell and was like, yo, I need spins on this in the club tonight. And literally his answer was, tell so-and-so at the label that I still ain't got my yada not yada to mean, you know? And he, and he wasn't uh, playing dude, the record. This dude's airing dudes like, out on Paola over there. Well, like, Paola, relax, I mean, bro. Paola ain't even, ain't even a thing anymore. I it's know, just I wide know. open. But, but <laughs> the thing is like, this is back when me and Bubba split a van, split a bedroom, split a company, split a lifestyle and a job. Yeah, and the funny thing is, like he said. And he, now we're throwing 1500 on fucking Doja, whatever the fuck that. <laughs> Doja coin. Doja coin. Doja you, coin. You, I got my phone on airplane mode because I want to look at the Doja no. cat of fucking crypto <laughs> and see how much no, bags but, I made in the last no, five but seriously, hours. We'll see. Th- this is what you got to understand. Like. Like Bubba said, one dollar, one dollar. Bubba and Billy were in LA before <laughs> me, so they knew their way around a little bit. So I vividly remember this: me and Bubba in the van, our van. We go down to downtown because there's going to be like this big club night down there. We get all our posters up or whatever. I think we were doing DJ Khaled. We we promoted DJ Khaled's oh, first. Oh, dude, two I was albums. on conference calls with DJ Khaled. No, who the fuck DJ Khaled was, Bro, dude. We're t- dude, this I, is like I was pushing DJ. Dude, a DJ Khaled was like a mixtape fucking dude in in Miami at the time. And and I remember, dude. I remember not to act like I'm. I'm not trying to name drop right. and act like I'm all right. cool with this motherfucker. This dude doesn't know who the fuck I am. Nobody ever care. But. I remember being on conference calls with this dude and me hanging up the phone of the conference call and be like, yo, that DJ Cow dude's ill. Like, that dude's a hustler. That I dude's mean, motivated. vision. Like, that sure. dude has vision, bro. Like, he no would one, talk like, like that. And I'm like, yo, everybody on this call don't give a fuck He'd be like, about this yo. dude. But he would, like, motivate you to give yeah. a fuck about his project. It was we crazy. would be like, we don't know who this dude is. We're just going to do what we got to do to get this fucking money to get this account done. But, like, I was like, I respected that dude. I was like, yo, this dude got vision. I don't know who this dude is, but this dude's on a mission. I used to have a voicemail. He was from inspiring, him on my phone. bro. He was I had a voicemail from him back then on Grammy weekend and literally on the voicemail. I can't believe I deleted it. He was like, I mean, bro, Yo, that's like, dude, that's like 2004, Eric, bro. Like, <laughs> like we the best. That, Yo, that's 2004, um, man. Bubba and Billy were in LA prior to me and, and Billy had gone to college. Billy's yet, one so, of the biggest songwriters in the world. So they, they knew how to get around LA. I didn't know anything. He had nothing to do with the music so business then. We went downtown and we were hitting this event. Me and Bubba jump out the van. We're getting all these posters up. And the other street team dudes are like, yo, who the fuck are these white boys from Boston? Like, but they respected our hustle nonetheless. And we were friendly. They were with confused them. though. We're, no, we, like, but we were friendly though. We weren't like rival. We were friendly. No, nah, no, nah, I'm still so, cool with those dudes. Yeah. So we, I would chop it up with them. And anyways, I vividly remember asking the dudes like, cause you'd have to find out where the party was at. Cause you literally had to get up where the dope Hollywood parties were at because that's where the label cats and the artists and everything would go and they'd see all the posters up and that's how I mean it was half about building awareness of the album and half stroking dudes egos that was like true like dudes wanted to pull up and be like shining off the ship being around and I and I get that as artists so so we're downtown on Wilshire and and uh and I asked one of the other street team dudes yo where the party at tonight and he he tells me such and such venue this address Wilshire Right. And I'm like, oh, yo, Bubba, uh, this party's happening over here. We got to go hit it. Right. So we start rolling down Wilshire. Little did we know that he meant Wilshire in Santa Monica. Right. So we get in. We get in the van in downtown on Wilshire. And I think I was driving. Right. So I'm driving down Wilshire and we're like looking at the addresses. Bro, I'm not even lying to you, bro. We drove from downtown through Mid-City, when we got to Rodeo Drive, I had never been to Beverly Hills before in my life, and like literally we're riding down Wilshire through Beverly Hills, and I'm like, we're still not there yet. 
Yeah. And we're from Boston, we were, dude. You we could were drive going all Boston. the way to Santa Monica. You could Monica. drive through the whole city of Boston in about <laughs> fucking eight minutes at night. You know what I mean? You drive on a highway, forget about it. But that was the first Chicago, time where I realized, like, yo, wide. I better really figure out how to get around out here because I just played myself. Like, <laughs> I thought this was just down Wilshire, and uh, it was 45 minutes away. Yeah, man. So we went from putting poster boards up in the street to fucking traveling the world with the biggest artists in the world. I mean, dude, me and E used to fucking travel we we wouldn't see each other for months on end because we'd be on the road man all summer all spring and then we right. just run in like i wouldn't even know this dude was on a festival that's and right and then i'd like roll up to the artist right. hotel and be like oh, oh, oh shit there's my dude, brother oh bro can i tell him yeah, about I mean, a visa can i tell him about yeah, a visa? Tell him about, yeah yeah visa's great um so like bubba said like our touring schedules would be so rigorous especially in the summer when you're touring in europe i you're, mean i would not come home for months you're going to you know, you're going to one festival in one country one day and another festival in another country the next day. And it's like that for like 20 Dude, I days do straight. Two, I do Sometimes two countries, you do two, two countries in a day. Two countries yeah. in a day. If, if, if your artist had the PJ, then you would do two countries in a day. And I and I, I had definitely done that a few times. But this summer, I was on tour with Zed. And I think, Ryan, you were on, uh, Bubba, you were on tour with DJ Snake, right? Were you talking to Pisa? Yeah. Yeah. And... I hadn't seen Bubba like literally the majority of the summer. I hadn't seen him. And like we would text each other and but you could hardly catch up unless you had unless I had his tour itinerary in front of me, I wouldn't know what country he was in. So we come to Ibiza and we go to the hotel and I go to check in the hotel with the rest of the crew. And the woman at the check-in desk says, Ginnity, you already got your room key. And I'm like, No, I don't. Like we just got here. And she's like, no, nah, no, nah, you're already checked in your room. And I'm like, no, I'm not. Like, we literally just got off the plane. Like, I'm here. Like, what's going on? So I'm like looking at my tour manager because I'm the stage manager. I'm like looking at my tour manager like, yo, bro. And so then I'm like, and then so I say to the lady, I'm like, um, Eric Ginnity, right? And she goes, no, not Eric, Ryan. And I'm like, oh, I get it. So I'm like, so Ryan's already I'm already here. in the pool doing so, a fucking belly So literally, I didn't even know that this dude was checked into the same hotel in Spain that I just got to. So after I check in, I hit him and I'm like, bro, where you at? And he's like, I'm here, whatever. So we link up at the pool. We end up going seaside and, get, you know, we got one hour. Nah, I take, I, I took you to the fish shack in yeah, Ibiza, which is shack. the shit. Yep. Yo, the fish shack is the spot that's right literally on the rocks. In like a bay in Ibiza, right? You jumped in the water after dude, we dude, ordered. Dude, but it has a dude. You literally sit on the rocks. It's like a shack, and then you, there's like tables all around on the rocks and shit. And there's literally a like a like a you know like a pool ladder, like the steel like ladder that goes in like a swimming pool. They have one of those going off the side of the rocks into the ocean. So you're just like order your food, and then you're like, all right, and just do a cannonball into the ocean, <laughs> and then climb back up this ladder. Like, that's what I literally did, and it's like the freshest fish. It's like whatever they caught that day. So if you ever go to Ibiza, go to the fish shack. Shit's and, fucking um, amazing, dude. Well, I mean, moral of that story, man, is like, I know it sounds crazy to be like, oh, you're running and gunning so hard, you don't know where your brother's at. And the reality is I didn't. But, you know, when it comes to memories, especially in the pandemic, I think back to moments like that where literally we had we went to the fish shack for dude, one Dude, the hour, crazy thing is, man, is we- And looked, it was like the best thing. Dude, like, that looked, was the best thing. And we man. didn't even, dude, at the time, I didn't even, I wasn't even that grateful for those things. That was just a day at work. Like, it like was. the way people like run with someone at the cafeteria, like uh, the fucking Westfield shopping center. Like, that's how I, <laughs> that's how it is running some dude at a restaurant in a fucking uh, Ibiza, dude. Yeah, in some Like, ways. that shit is like normal. You know ways. what I'm saying? Not to run into dudes all the time. It's definitely crazy when you run into each other, but like- 
it's like, dude, that's how we bro, live that life. But like, bro, I, think now about I that miss now. that shit so much. Think dude. about that now. Like, I, I don't want to go off on a tangent or like, you know, hypothesize, but not only are we in the pandemic right now, but that level of like running and gunning and touring internationally like that. I mean, dude, that was at the heights of the possibilities of doing that. I don't know when that's coming back like that. Like, I could tell you that, like, you know, we would run all the paperwork and everything for us to go to Asian countries. But when it came to Europe, man, dude, crew dudes from America, we you sh- just do we, whatever you want. UK, yeah, I'm getting a visa. Everywhere else, I'm just showing the fuck up and I'm dipping through like every country oh, and yeah. not saying shit. Like, yeah, I'm just a dude, tourist. It's like, I'm just a on, tourist. it's like, and it's, like it's like you. swiping your metro card in a fucking you. train station. Like, God bless that because that's not coming back. There's no way that I'm just gonna be able to dip through every country. Nobody swept me, and I'm going. Dude, to like the funniest part festival. is he want, he tells a story about the hotel, but there was times where we where we cross paths literally on a stage on the stage, like on the stage. Like I'd yeah. be like performing, and then be like, look at the schedule. Like we'd be we'd be doing our show, and I look at the schedule, like oh shit, like my brother's yeah. on after us. Yeah, you know what I mean. And then like ten minutes before our set was over, my brother yeah. be coming up, like talking to stage man. I'd be like, oh what up, e? And literally, like during a changeover, we'd like dap each other up and give each other a hug, and we'd say what's up to each other's artists, and because we all know each other. And then we'd get in the car and leave, and fucking go to the next country, and he'd do the show. We we wouldn't even fucking have we wouldn't yeah, we even sit five minutes. We wouldn't even stand next to the stage and have a drink. You well, know the, well, like, the thing is, like nothing. you got to understand, like when it comes to festivals. Especially in other countries, like there's three days of the festival, there's three to five stages. So the probability, like I would know that he was with Zed's Dead or he's with Chami or he's with DJ Snake or something, and they play in that festival. But I, but I'd you be like, know what I'd day, be what like, time. they probably played Friday, and here I am Sunday. Yeah. Right. So like, whenever it was that we playing on the same day on the same stage, I remember on a rainy, uh, electric zoo in New York. Only a couple years we ago, before. where literally Chami played right before Zed, and Bubba was with Chami, and I'm before Zed, and it's like he's sitting there as we come up. Like that was a moment for me. That oh, was like a I'm moment. cutting our music while you. Start yeah, here. that was a moment to go from the transitioning from the artist he's with into the artist I'm with, and be able to like shake his hand like that. Yeah. Like that was just that was just fun. That was fun. You know. You know what's crazy, man? Is I think those days are over for me forever, man. You know, I think I think I'm gonna be my own artist and design my own shit. And, and do you, I baby? I mean, the reality is, you know, you wrote it till the wheels fell off. That's <laughs> yeah, man. Which is great, man. It's a, but I learned a lot, man. I learned a lot from those artists. I mean, you're never you're never gonna not be putting shows on. Yeah, I just, just know. I just tour like that. I right? just know how to control. You know, I learned from all these dudes, especially the part of my French dudes. Like, I learned how to. I weren't like you said, man. Like all the way back eighty eight nine, trying to put out that product that was at a very oh, high man. level. It's like I learned from those dudes how to put out, sh- how to like you know create only do things that are tasteful and only do things that you feel are strong. Man. And 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 uh, hey, man, there might be people that listen to this podcast that be like that shit's fucking hot garbage, and that's that's cool. You yeah. know what I mean? But I yeah. but I but I think in my opinion, man, in my world, I think this is this thing's exceeding expectations. And I think it's about more ears hearing the thing. Absolutely. And it's not that's not some ego shit. That's just like I'm confident in it and I think that like yeah. it does something for people and, and that's then that's what it is. You know what I mean? And that and I learned that from other dudes that I watched get famous and popular and how they operated and how they approach right. things. And like I took I learned from them, but I also like helped tailor that shit with them and now I'm like excited to like mold my shit shit man into visions that i you have. remind me like when you said part of my french you just remind me like 
man, that that opportunity was was a blessing, and it was great, and it came at the best time. Like, literally, those guys as an organization were really just knocking on the door of what was possible for all of their artists. You know, yeah. Mercer, Mala, Chami, I mean, and Mala and didn't Snake. even exist. Snake was doing his thing, but he was about to like really take over the pop world and take over the electronic world from from a headlining perspective too. He was already headlining, but he, I don't think he ever re- he no, pushed he his production a couple yet. times, but like it was about to go to a whole nother level. And and I just I'll never forget like. You know, their manager, Steve, um, approached me as a production manager and a stage manager through through the agents who who spoke well. His, you know, his, his agents spoke highly of me and, and introduced us. And um, I remember telling – we met in Miami at, at Ultra Music Festival. And he was like, I'm going to be in L.A. in a couple of days. We definitely have to have a meeting. And I was like, yeah, we definitely do. And so – he was staying at the London and I'm going to this meeting, but this time I brought Ryan with me because I was already touring with multiple artists at this time. And I'm like, as much as I want to work with these guys, there's no, there's only so many, so many days on a calendar. There's no way I was that I'm going to be too, able to co- cover all of it. We were and, basically going to, to meet and show respect and also build a relationship. And so, but we were, tur- we were going to turn down the job. That was, some, that was the idea. In in some ways. We, we we were going to figure out how it was going to work, but we just felt like it was doubtful to work. And basically, the reason I'm telling you this is because me and Bubba go meet his man, their manager, Steve, at the London. We sit down at this small table, and Steve tells us, you know, they have this tour coming up in a couple weeks. This is what's going on. This is what's going on. And my answer to that was, Steve... We really want to help you. And he stopped me mid-sentence. I was about to say, Steve, we really want to help you, but you know we have busy schedules with other artists as well, so we need to figure something out somehow. He stopped me mid-sentence. And he said, Eric, I didn't ask you to come here for your help. I asked you to be all in. And yo, literally, like, dude, I'm smiling right now. In that moment, I looked at Ryan and then looked back at him and was like, hold up. This dude keeps it super real and so do we. All I want to do is go 100 for this guy right now. Like, he, you literally just, like, you fucking got me going now, bud. And so the reality was from that, in that next sentence, I was like, well, okay, bet. I ain't going to half step. Like, let's do this. I mean, and then we went, and, uh, and then after that, we didn't do the tour. But the funny thing is, E went about his business a couple months later, and when we had it, had it, got busy with his other clients, and I ended up running with the PMF dudes for like almost five years. Almost five with years. With all of them, bro. Almost Worked with all years, of them, man. and every one of them dudes is my friends. And in this pandemic, we communicate, and this shit has nothing to do with music, and nothing, it's all about like family and how how are the kids, and yeah. like and like what's the next step as do as men to like do for our family and the world and shit. You know what I mean? Like, and, yeah. that, and that shit's real, man. And like we, you know, we're lucky to have had that experience, and I take a lot of that experience into into what we're doing now, man. You know? Yeah, and w- and also what I can say is like, you know, part of my French crew coming from France as they did, and, and being homies and being Parisian. I had already been um, touring with the Bloody Beat Roots, who were from Italy and had their Italian crew. I had already toured with Justice, 
who were from France and had their yeah, we French group. We, we didn't work would, with, dude, we didn't work with any Americans for, well, for well, whatever the thing, reason. The thing I was going to say oh, is, man, know. I had already started to understand and really appreciate not only how serious those European artists took their craft and really wanted to take things to the next level in terms of their music, their stage shows and everything, but also how much they treated their crew as family and everybody was like really respected and it was just a different scene man we we not only worked really hard but we ate really well and we talked and had great conversation like it was never about like a lot of people have a misconception that when you tour with these kind of level artists and it's like all a party nothing about what we did was a party it was all hard work all the time. I literally mostly got no work. sleep. I'm doing sound checks. I'm doing load ins. I'm doing loadouts. It's mostly when people work. are partying, I'm still on the stage taking it apart. Dudes don't sleep. But the reality was, these guys were willing to like take the moments to have the nice breakfast when we could, to have the nice lunch when we could, to have great conversation, to value the people around us. And I learned so much from that. And so anytime the European artists were willing to give me and Ryan me and uh Ryan an opportunity to work with them, I always really considered that over everything. Because it meant a lot to me. And then the greatest thing that could ever happen with them, Bubba, t- tell me if I'm wrong. The greatest thing that could ever happen when you were working with a European artist is going with them to their country. Yeah, going with them that to their the country. That was the best, dude. I mean, dude, I going hate, to dude, going I hated, to their country with them was bro. The best I hated thing ever. France and I hated Paris until I started chilling with dudes from those places in that place. You know, like it's like it's a different experience, man. It's the same thing. A lot of people hate Boston, you know, until they fuck with Boston with us and do different things, see That's different true. parts that are more unique than you would experience you know, if true. you weren't from there. You know, it's it's. A, I mean, that's a great place. It's one of my favorite things about traveling the world is is paying with the locals, and I'm always trying to find out who knows someone that lives there, that knows someone that's from there, so I can get in and dig in and like eat at the spots that are real, not the shit that's people. Oh, t- dude, like that's that's, that's what it's all about, man. It's all about learning about the cultures, man. And you know, we're fortunate enough to live that life. That shit's fucking over. Now we're you know for now, and we're in we're in L.A. Doing our thing in America, you know, E did his shit with the NFL and his company, doing the shit with the Rams, et cetera, you know, which has been a real big thing for you guys this year. And, you know, I got the in crowd thing. And I mean, it's, it's great, man. We just pivoted, man. Pivot or die, bro. Pivot or die. If you ain't in the pandemic hungry as a motherfucking lion dude trying to figure out how to survive, I mean, maybe you have a regular job and good for you. I mean, but in the world of entrepreneurship and freelance, it's, it's a fucking, you know, it's, it's <clears> only, what I, only the only the desire the people with the most desire get to eat man you know you got me yeah. thinking of because you know this podcast is often so introspective and also motivational and and i the find funny it, thing is i'm a comedian that started a podcast i don't half the shit isn't ever funny but uh, it's okay. <laughs> i mean we could get it we could tell the funny I stories mean, we could all tell day funny stories. That's we could yeah. tell the funny stories all day but I mean, as a listener, I find this podcast to be really motivational because it's it's just real. It talks about opportunity, pursuit, and and the work that you have to put in. And you know, there's a couple words that come to mind for me during you the pandemic. Also, hate on people that drag you down. That's my favorite. Part. Oh hell yeah! I mean, I'll get vengeance. I mean, on you them got some day. fucking cinder blocks, but you got. You I'll know, get some vengeance on them. You get some pull downs. But what know, what I can say? We'll leave that what away. I can say is, um, you know, the pandemic makes me think of of a few things one in life is you got to have some kind of regimen you know 
If if you're waking up at four o'clock every day and you feel confused, it's because your schedule's fucked up, son. Like you <laughs> you got to be like working on business hours to be a businessman, and you got to have some kind of regiment. Whether that means do a morning bike ride, whether it means do a walk in the evening with your girl or your wife, whatever it is, like you got to have some kind of routine in your shit to feel normal. If you don't have some kind of routine, you ain't gonna feel normal. That's why you don't fucking feel normal. The I mean, other even thing, when we were traveling, man, you had to have a routine. The other thing I would somewhere. say, man, is like during this shit, you know what punches you in the face is a need for purpose. And whatever that purpose is, like like my man, um, like my man Chef Osh, he's a head chef. At, at, a, at a restaurant, you know, that obviously gets shuttered during the pandemic. And he decides to just make a pizza pop up, you know, out of his kitchen that's that's starting to pop off. And it's bomb. Gorilla Pies. Gorilla Shout pies. out Gorilla Pies is, is banging. But the thing is, like. You just cropped the Gorilla Pies. Bro. No, but that's. Deserve it, though. That's purpose. The rabbi's the best pizza. Yet. That's uh, the rabbi's slam. It's basically a Reuben pizza. It's fucking but, incredible. But, but that's purpose, you know. Like, I honestly, like, in the days where I literally had not two sticks to rub together in LA when I was a youngin, I found purpose in going on jogs. Literally, I would go to bed at night and be like, I might professionally be a fucking hunk of garbage, but you know what? I ran five miles today, and I feel good about myself, and I'm not a total piece of fucking trash. I didn't eat 20 Oreos out the bag. You know? That shit and, at and least and dude, builds momentum. Yo, you know? that's it's more, all about momentum. Let me dude. tell you something, bro. That did more... You know what I'm a firm believer of, Bubba, and I, I brought this up one or two times. I'm a. F- this is for me, and you take it, take w- from it what you will. I'm a firm believer of physical energy manifesting into opportunity and positive energy. Meaning, when I run I three that. miles to the top of Griffith Park, I used to run three miles to the top of Griffith Park, and I would look out over the city, and literally what I would I'd look into the heavens, and I'd say, you know what, God? I don't know what's coming, but you know what? I know I'm ready, and every day I prepare myself for when I'm ready. And, and I would manifest energy through physical energy. Of running and doing these things. And the whole time I would just be just supreme confidence. Like the phone didn't ring today, but that's okay because it's ringing next Tuesday. And next Wednesday it would be like, bring. And dudes would be like, yo, uh, you down to come on tour with these guys? And I'd be like, literally, I put my phone on mute and be like, I've been listening to these guys' album for the last three weeks. These people have no fucking idea. And li- dude, that's how my life started to unfold. Yeah. And it sounds crazy, but it's true. Dude, I would listen to music, and a month later, the dude's manager would call me. Then I'd go on tour with him. I'd start listening to another album. I'd be on that tour, and that dude's manager would call me. I'd literally go on tour with people that I've been listening to their music and being like, I really fuck with them. I've never, ever, ever gone on a tour with a single artist that I was like, this guy's music sucks, and I didn't listen to it before I was here. Like, I always have. And if that ain't a blessing from the damn heavens, I don't know what is. Like, I was never forced to, like, you know, go on tour with fucking Counting Crows. Mind you, like, I don't hate on Counting Crows. But, like, I never was forced to, like, not be with some current amazing stuff that I naturally liked. And you especially, you always move with, with the time and move with the artist with the heat. And a lot of times the artist with the heat has the biggest ambition. The dudes well, with the biggest ambition find the dudes that know the most to fucking help them that's another thing. that fucking vision. That's another and they would thing. come knocking on our door 
to help them fucking bring the vision and bring the work ethic and make and make the ship tight. You know what I'm saying? A lot of dudes, these young dudes in the game of entertainment, they think you fucking grab on to one dude with some credibility, you fucking suck his teeth until there's no milk no, left. No, that's the fucking no, wrong game. That's no. what hacky losers do. Yeah, you know what I'm saying? Dudes that can stand on their own too, and dudes that bring actual fucking credibility and value to any any project or movement or artist or fucking movie or song or fucking anything if you bring value and you bring and you contribute you don't have to latch on to anybody because the people that do and are trying to get to a level will need your perp you will need your value and your expertise and, the- and they'll come for you you know what I'm saying? A lot of these dudes are just trying to latch on to the fucking dude that's closest to them or they got the connect to. Nah, man. And that shit is just nah, the wrong man. way to go about it. And that's that new age game. That's yeah. this young buck nah, fucking man. 24-year-old kid with the fucking camera that thinks he's fucking going to shoot every fucking shit. Yo, and the, and, like, and the beautiful whatever, thing. Whatever, bro. You know Bubba, what I mean? tell like, him. We don't just talk about this. Bread. You're not just saying that sporadically. We strategize that. We yeah. talk about that. Yeah. For years, we've talked about that. For years, we've talked about you jump off the boat onto the next boat when the shit is moving. Like, anybody who is wallowing... Also, shit gets stale, man. No offense to any artist. Shit gets stale, man. And when you tour, when you tour, man... It's cyclical. It goes in cycles. Bro, also, when you tour, man, is like you spend so much time and you run and gun so fucking hard on a fucking project for a year or 18 months or whatever. It's like when that shit starts to simmer down, like... You got to move on to the next project. 100%. And sometimes it can be hard because you have those personal relationships and those are great. The thing is, those won't die unless you kill them. And so like every person, I feel, you know who I feel bad for? I feel bad for the people that worked for one popping artist or director or whatever the situation is like 10 years ago. And they just say, oh, I used to work for so-and-so. And that's like the last person they work for. Because me, that ain't me. Like, I'm working for the current dude, and then I'm working for the next current dude. You know what's funny? Whenever, like, I rarely ever have been actually personally disrespected by an artist or something, but it's happened. Maybe it's happened from somebody who I didn't even really work for. Maybe somebody said some underhanded shit to me at some point that pissed me off. You know what I thought every time? You know what's in, I didn't, I didn't say it to them, but in my head, I said, you know what's interesting? I'm going to be here long after your career's in the fucking trash. So the funny thing about me and you, bud, is I'm doing a marathon. Your little sprint is going to die. Are you going to have enough money to spend after? Sure, you might, but your popularity will be in the fucking gutter. The reality is I'm a career dude. I'm here. Like, I'm not going nowhere. I'm working with you this year, and I'm working with the other dude that's better than you next year. And, and we used to talk about that. We used to talk about jumping off. At I mean, your that's just point, business, dude. Right? That's just business. You know what I'm saying? And it's like once you work on a high level, you have to stay on the high level, and then you got to get to the next level. And you don't get to the next level by fucking working with dudes on the way down. You know what I'm saying? And it's not personal against them. I mean, at that point, they probably want to move in a different direction too. Yeah, it, it honestly you know ain't even I mean? about them. It's they about take breaks you. Too. It's about you. Like you need to keep your game sharp. Yeah. You know, you need to keep your game sharp. You and you, it's real easy to get complacent in the entertainment business when things are good. And when you get complacent, you before you know it, you can wake up and your fucking career's over. You know what I mean? You know what? Whether that's an artist or a create or someone behind the scenes, I mean, if you know, if you stay in one place too long, it, it's not a good thing. You know, you know what happened? It's like to me? staying in a relationship that isn't right for you, but you stay because you don't so want to true. be alone. You so know true. So true. You know what happened to me over the years is, um, I became such a workaholic about it to a degree that I w- I didn't feel I felt comfortable just 
keep going and going and going. The times that I felt awkward is when I had a day off. I didn't know what to do with myself. Literally, I didn't know what to do with myself. I'd be like, oh, shit. That's I another thing. Because I would never plan for it. You'd be of, so busy, you don't plan for the time dude, off. If there's any advice you know? I can give to anyone that's a fuck, whether you're a creative and you're an artist yourself or you're someone that works rigorous hours. I mean, this isn't even just the entertainment business. This could be like, you could be a fucking dude that's in finance. Anyone that's just like striving to be at the top of their profession and puts in a lot of work, it's like, dude, it is, you need to take downtime. You have to. 100%. Like you got, and I'm not talking about downtime like Saturday. Like, like you need to just step away from that whole shit for periods oh, of time. Oh, yeah, man. It you can get I mean? cyclical like, if you don't. Yeah, and like get rejuvenated, reset. And don't be scared that like, you know, when you gain knowledge and gain expertise and gain skills, those skills never go away. So you can like let that world go for a second and still come back and get, and do it at that level. You know what I mean? I feel like a lot of dudes are scared to like step yeah. off the fucking track because they think they'll never get back on. But a lot of times when you step off, you come back and it'll be greater opportunities. Yeah. Yeah. Or they just come to you instead of you going to them. That you know too. what I'm saying? And, and that's, that's the great thing about, that too. you know, living through this shit, man. Yeah. But, but you know what I love about you, man, is you're always down to not only reinvent yourself, but you're down to reinvent yourself with a level of passion for it that's unsurpassed you know every new project that you're involved in not only are you all in but you're passionate about that thing you never half step and never half asking it asking it like always in it man you know and that and that's what i respect about you you know i mean i think your biggest weapon throughout this pandemic was just your ability to just keep going keep going keep going not putting it down that's what's helped create momentum for in crowd and and helped people get it gain notoriety. I mean, it's such an amazing thing. It was like at the dawning of all this thing happening, all of a sudden you and your 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 dudes develop a way that all of a sudden we can all engage in entertainment in a different way. Dude, I've like man, you can ask my girl. I was at the house eating homemade fish tacos that she made me pouring myself a drink, laughing at my computer, yelling back at the comedian, like yelling at Neil Brennan, like, yeah, that's right, Neil. You know, and it's like I was in my kitchen, bro. I was, I have a blast on InCrowd, bro. So much fun. And for anybody who's listening who hasn't checked it out, I mean, you got to check it out. Like you got just literally checking it out. Just go on to Instagram and see what it's about. If you listen to Talking Shit with Bubba and you don't know about InCrowd comedy, and you haven't been on Instagram just to see what it's about. Literally, visually, just looking at it, you immediately will be stimulated. Because you'll be like, oh, damn, yeah. How many times have we heard people, dude, you know what's funny? I never saw a single episode of Black Mirror. I heard Everyone so many people say, in crowds like Black Mirror. I went and watched Black Mirror. And I went and watched the first episode of Black Mirror, the one where they make the dude like fuck the pig like on public television. That what? show is fucked up, bro. Yeah, but you got to write the two. That you, the, yeah, but the thing you don't understand about Black Mirror is that each episode is completely, completely different. different. And yeah, talking, no, I do understand. And they're talking about like two specific episodes that are like no, I in get the realm of I this get world. It. I get it. Not anyone fucking a But pig. the moral of the story is like I feel like when people say, oh, shit, this is like Black Mirror, like that's a compliment, bro. Yeah, no doubt. That's a compliment, bro. No and I mean, it's the future, man. Let me let me tell you something. Um, that's the bro. That idea wasn't just an idea. That idea was the evolution of your life. Yeah, you know, we haven't really talked about, but like your 
a career live performance production manager and tour manager who works with lighting, video, special effects, stages, stage designs, audio engineers, a team of these dudes. You also, on the side, more as a passion project than anything, pursue stand-up. In-crowd became a fusion, naturally, of both of those things. This is how great life can be when you let the man upstairs and your fate and the universe... Now, granted, you don't sit on your couch and let that stuff happen. You manifest and you work hard, but evidently these things present themselves where it becomes the fusion of your passions and your innovations. That's how beautiful life can be. I got a notebook. You know how many napkin drawings, uh, script outlines, uh, ideas for like different pop-up entertainment situations? Like I got a notebook of stuff I've... Only it's just ideas that I developed that I had literally haven't spoken of yeah, or brought either. to people because the reality is like I'm always thinking of innovative and creative ideas and they're just at different intervals of that. I just idea. like to think of you ideas know? just to keep that that tool sharp. You know what I'm saying? Like I hundred percent. I always am trying to think of shit and like people shit on ideas and I t- and sometimes I get mad, excited, and tell them about a bunch of people. But I like no, I'm not even going to do it. But I'm just like, yo, I want to see if people think this is dope. You and know what's funny for like, me is like I, I can't. For me personally, I can't grasp the concept of shitting on other people's ideas. Do I critique things? Sure. Nah, but I'm, I'm never I'm the just, dude just who's going to like burst pitch. the balloon. I just you know pitch, I mean? bro. If you tell me some idea, I never shit on it. I'm just like, yo, but you know, I just add to it. Yeah. Or like, you know, give my perspective. What's say, have you ever thought of? Yeah, yeah man. I just, yeah. Try to, I just try to spitball Absolutely, the idea. Man. Absolutely. I, shit on it. I, I mean, that's what all people try to do. Man. People just you know try, what? Most people that are fucking like complacent and, and bowed out and fucking gave up on their dreams and, and just decided to take the easy road and the safe road or whatever for whatever reason – those people try to kill your dreams, man, and try to kill your ideas. And yeah. Try to, and try to tell you yeah. those ideas aren't possible. And this sounds like a fucking walking cliche we're saying right now, but it's true, man. It happens to me still. Oh, man. Like, you got to you know, fight I'm, for I'm, your shit, like, bro, man. Bro, you, you, you got to fight People for that are shit. close to me in my life, I'm like, yo, dude, you guys know that I don't live like that, right? Like, I'm, like you've been trying to give me this advice to fucking do these other things and like you've been trying to tell me my ideas won't work from the beginning of time and I've proved you wrong again and again and I've just done more and gone more places and made more money and you know what I'm saying it's like so like I'm not even letting you fucking have an opinion anymore dude well you know we, we've been talking about critiquing creative and we're talking about going to art schools and all this thing one thing I've learned over time man is like when you're speaking to someone about their creativity you got to be real selective about how you approach that. If you come out the gate just like critiquing the shit out of it and saying like, nah, man, you can burst somebody's bubble. I've seen it happen in front of me. I've had, I have to apologize for some people because there's a certain way that you can approach that. You know, I've been in so many recording sessions and so many different places where people play their music for you the first time. You know how much of a confident leap that is to be able to in- include you and who the hell is you at the end of the day to be the guy to be like, that's trash. Like, man, giving people constructive criticism, like you shouldn't even you should just kind of leave the criticism part out, you know. You should you approach things. The first thing I ever do when anybody approaches me with a creative thing and asks me what I think, I give positive feedback first, even if I think it's dog shit. 
I'm gonna find yeah, a positive course, thing. You want to encourage, and I'm gonna be shit, like, man. you know what? I want to encourage. You know what? I'm just. It could be dog shit, and I'll be like, and I'll be dead ass serious. I'll be like, you know what, man? I'm just really happy you took the time out for this. This is great. This is, this is great. And I won't even be bullshitting because I really will be happy that they did that. Yeah. And then maybe I'll say some other stuff. But I'm not bursting bubbles, man. I'm not out here to burst bubbles. If you're a bubble bursting ass motherfucker, man, you really need to change your shit. Like that's you're a hater. You're a hater. Like and you don't and not only like hater is too simple. You obviously don't understand process and you obviously don't know how to approach creatives you most likely don't have an artistic or creative bone in your own body if you're just gonna body somebody's thing out the gate right yo and this is how we're gonna close the podcast how we close cut you off not go creative things are great we motivate dudes in this podcast we talk about traveling the world we talk about the music business we talk about fucking stand-up comedy we talk about innovations we talk about fucking inspiration but let's talk about this motherfuckers are on the mega thread talking about fucking dogecoin (laughs) (laughs) potentially the dudes are trying to push it to through the roof to a hundred dollars say it's the next bitcoin yo bro if you don't got your money in the dogecoin by the time this podcast drops have made more than you made this year motherfucker dogecoin let's go dude put it all on black let's get it oh my god episode 17 of talking shit with bubba i am not a financial advisor i know nothing about anything <laughs> i learned how to invest by reading fucking blogs from <laughs> other fucking idiots to learn shit for two seconds dogecoin doja coin let's go we're gonna wrap the you know wrapping it up on this man. You my brother. I love you. I wouldn't have any of my successes without you. I had to have you on the podcast to talk about this thing. I mean, at the end of the day, we both have the last name Kennedy, which means we could talk for fucking seventeen Absolutely. hours, it's particularly about ourselves and Absolutely. our accolades and our experiences and our anger and our rage and our things that make us fucking tick. But at the end of the day, we don't have that much time. And also, people that listen to this podcast probably listen to it because it's you know short sweet and gets you going you know what i'm saying <laughs> so i want to stick to that even though this wasn't short and sweet but i love you more than anything i'm glad you came on this podcast man i mean you know i learned a lot of things you put me in a lot of positions that i've taken ran with and i appreciate you and you know when this dogecoin blows up bro i got you i cut you in <laughs> <laughs> yo good looking out brother we're always in this together and uh thanks for having me bro Shit with Bubba. Oh, yeah. Chances.